The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, we discuss diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives in the OEHS workplace and AIHA's upcoming online DEI event. Welcome to another episode of Healthier Workplaces. I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Media and your host for this program from AIHA. Stay with us. The newly updated sixth edition of the Noise Manual is available at the AIHA University Bookstore. This edition contains new chapters on impulse noise, ototoxicants, fit testing, and community exposure. Noise is an omnipresent hazard for industrial hygienists and OEHS practitioners. Find the right information with this valuable resource for noise prevention and more in your workplace and communities. Update your noise knowledge today. Available in print and digital formats. Visit AIHA.org noise for a free preview. So uh, welcome, Isabel and Kanani. Um, really happy to have you on the program to talk about this important stuff, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Um, really should be on everybody's radar. And it's something that really uh, is, you know, at least I think starting to get a foothold in, in the workplace now. So um, you, you have a conference coming up that you're both presenting at, right? Yes. What is, tell us what the conference is. So the DEI virtual conference is a free conference that various AHA volunteer groups and committees have decided as an important issue that we can all learn as OEHS professionals and help advocate diversity, equity, and inclusion. Excellent. And each of you ladies have a uh, presentation you're doing there. Um, Kanani, you're you're doing one on empowering uh, allies for a safer and healthier workplace, the benefits of ally training in the OEHS profession. Tell us a little bit about uh, what your goals are with that presentation. Yeah, so our presentation is really going to focus on total worker health and safety, um, really calling out uh, those individuals who consider themselves allies or really just educating individuals on how to become allies in the workplace uh, in order to uh, target and speak up about marginalized identities, um, you know, different um, underrepresented groups, um, just being an ally in the, in the workplace, really, and, and for total worker health and safety. And as far as allyship in the workplace, um, you know, do you have some examples of how that's, you know, success stories of, you know, actually being able to implement that? Yeah, definitely. So uh, allyship actions are actually really wide ranging. You know, they can include things like calling out biases, um, slowing down conversations to ensure that perspectives are considered, uh, even giving up opportunities of your own so that, you know, we can provide space for others to thrive in spaces where they other otherwise wouldn't. Um, and research shows that uh, individuals in marginalized communities that speak up about things like diversity, they, they typically get dismissed and allies in the workplace can really help um, really get rid of that burden that those individuals feel. And uh, just overall, you know, they can really 
help those underrepresented groups and those marginalized communities. So um, it's really important to just, you know, be able to educate individuals on how they can become allies in the workplace. So one example, um, actually recently in our environmental health and safety group, you know, we were intentionally kind of scheduling individuals so that they would kind of avoid each other um, and not uh, really run into each other, um, you know, the whole situation, the discomfort, I'm trying to avoid that. But through education and allyship, we were able to get everyone in a safe space, um, really have those hard conversations. I think we had about three, what we call rumble sessions. Um, we provided examples, you know, for improvement and we really formalized the intent behind um, what allyship looks looks like and, and what we were going to do about the biases at hand that we we're talking about. And so long story short, now, you know, we're operating at a better than expected efficiency rate and it really wouldn't have been possible without our allyship group. So the, the term rumble session, uh, you know, you, you got to elaborate on that. <laughs> Um, it, it does not mean that we're going to get into any confronting um, or using the space as uh, a place where we can, you know, come and target individuals. Um, definitely not. Uh, what a rumble session really is, is really a, a space, a safe space and a place for transparency. Um, again, having uh, the hard conversations, being able to open up completely without any type of repercussions, you know, from our workplace or our supervisors. Um, we typically have a facilitator in the room um, where they, you know, help us facilitate some of these conversations. A lot of time, you know, vocabulary is a is a a um, blockage uh, point for individuals. Um, a lot of times, you know, just personality in general, right? Knowing people's work styles, um, that sort of thing. Just being able to navigate those areas. Um, so in this rumble sh session, we're just able to really provide a safe space to be transparent um, without repercussion. Okay, excellent. So, uh, Isabel, um, your presentation that you'll be doing at the same event is a crucial underutilized uh, self-promotion tool for women and minorities, the professional portfolio. Got to tell us about that. Yeah, so we're going to focus on how women and minorities tend to be less likely to promote themselves compared to um, our counterparts. And we'll explore some reasons why there is this gap and share some useful tools to address and close that gap. And one of the biggest tools that we're gonna share is the professional portfolio or sometimes called a career portfolio. And it's a tool that I've used myself over 10 years in applying for jobs and interviews and promotions. And I found it very effective to give me the confidence to self-promote. So what inspired you to uh, focus on this topic? Um, well, the Current Employment Services Committee taught me about this tool, um, another AHA group that I highly recommend you reach out to for resources. Um, I'm also a committee member on, on with that committee, and I learned about the tool when I was an intern um, with someone else that's on one of the, this AHA committee, and I ended up being a presenter at um, AHA conferences for over 10 years on this topic and was challenged to put my own portfolio together during my internship and really learned the value of it and how it set me apart in when I go for an interview. Not only during the interview does it give you the confidence you need, but it helps prepare you for these um, competitive situations that you come in when you are faced against, you know, the challenge of promoting yourself to others. 
Um, and research does unfortunately show that women and minorities are less likely to do this. So I felt like it's something that we definitely all could share and use and talk about more and make it more of a norm in the process. Um, if if self-promotion isn't natural for you, it's a really good way to have a tangible tool that you can bring with you just to build that confidence when you're coming into the room. Even if you don't even open it up when you're having the conversation, it still holds a lot of value with the process of putting one together. Well, I mean, people in general, I think, are can be uncomfortable self-promotion, you know, with self-promotion. I'm an exception to that. I, I love self-promoting, but I mean, <laughs> most, that, that, you know, if, you're, if you do media, you, you tend to do that anyway. But, but I mean, in general, actually, you know, it, from a career standpoint, I, I actually, I feel awkward with it too. So what are some of the key components of that professional por portfolio? You know, like, because I, I think, is that, I mean, I, I, I'm old now, so I, you know I'm not in the I'm I'm in private sector and I'm not really dealing uh, you know in a corporate environment. So is is that common for people coming up now to have a professional portfolio, or is that still kind of a, like a almost a pie in the sky thing for a lot of people? It's not common, which is why I advocate it so much because um, I think it what it's what will help you stand out because others aren't really leveraging this valuable tool. Um, I've gotten feedback during interviews that I stood out during the conversation from other candidates because I came prepared and I had a visual to explain what I was explaining. Um, and to go into some of the components at a high level, it's examples of your work that you've done. So if you imagine someone in um, a more creative field, and not that our field isn't creative, but let's say a photographer, um, you know, you could you have a portfolio of your of your work that you've you've put together, you know, photographs or artwork or, you know, those types of examples. It's the same concept, but applying that to our profession. So, you know, process maps, you know, we started sampling for hexavalent chromium and this is how we did it. And like the whole process flow or how do we reduce exposures, really taking the information that you've gathered and put together and bringing it to life when you're talking about your accomplishments and your knowledge that you have. It helps back up the claims you make about yourself. And, and you're saying that, you know, in your opinion, uh, you know, that obviously women and uh, minorities are really can benefit even greater by having this professional portfolio. Yeah, I definitely believe that. Um, in the past, when I've done these presentations on the professional portfolio, it wasn't geared toward any certain audience. But over the time, um, I got more active in women in industrial hygiene and realized this is definitely a tool women could use because we are um, less likely to self-promote. Um, you know, research does show that. Um, it's the humbleness, you know, we might have. And it's a generalization. It's not everybody. Sure. Um, but I think... It's, it's something, you know, it's it's easier for some people to take credit for things over others or speak up over others. And this is like, a, a I think, especially OEHS professionals, we also tend to be very um, data driven. Right. Like so if we could show our data in this setting, I think it's um, if it, it fits very well into our um, tendencies as OEHS professionals to show data, gather data, analyze data. And this is the perfect platform um, to promote yourself with this. So I think for me, it's built confidence in the processes, in competitive scenarios. I'd say women and minorities and anyone really can benefit mm -hmm. from using this. But if you struggle with that, no matter what your demographics or background is, 
uh, por professional portfolios is a great tool to use to learn how to flex that muscle and talk about yourself and be proud of your accomplishments. Kanani, you've worked uh, throughout your career in various states and been involved in uh, uh, DEI uh, committees. Um, can you give us some insights on some of those unique challenges and opportunities you've encountered promoting DEI within different regions or organizations and how these experience, experiences have shaped your approach to fostering uh, inclusivity? That's, that's a long uh, question, isn't it? You know, there's got to be a better way to word that. It is a long question, but I just focus on the, you know, the challenges and opportunity portion. You know, so while DEI, you know, strategy development, the implement processes, the training, the education, even just general support on the topic, they all typically come with like a standard roadmap, right? Um, so we generally know what DEI looks like or what a DEI program um, is going to look like down the road. Um, but each organization and each region really measure their successes differently. I mean, again, you know, we're all striving for the same thing, right? Diversity in the workplace, but success metrics and KPIs are all gonna be different for each company, for each organization, even in each region. Um, I definitely think the biggest opportunity for promoting DEI in these different regions or different spaces is really getting an exposure on all levels, what the process is from start to finish. I mean, getting a handle on, you know, the work that goes on behind the scenes, the lobbyists that are involved from, from the beginning, you know, laying the groundwork um, to make, make the change happen, you know, recruiting, again, strategy development, implementation, the training, all of this, all of these things, the successes, the failures, you know, remeasuring, right? The cycle is constantly changing, going round and round, but at least we know that the constant is change. I mean, it, so it, do you really, have you found that there's really a, a, a great variance from region to region? It, it just, it, and that's just, just the socioeconomic uh, factors in the different uh, places around the world? Yes, definitely. Um, being from Hawaii, um, you know, br bringing my diversity and experiences here, we, we call Hawaii the melting pot, right? I mean, we have all types of different cultures. Um, coming to the Pacific Northwest, uh, I rarely see those types of cultures. Um, and so being able to provide uh, insight, um, perspective, you know, things that we wouldn't typically touch on had we been, um, you know, elsewhere, uh, it, it's really valuable to those individuals that are trying to uh, fit in, right? We're all trying to fit in. Um, and so being able to provide, again, that perspective to these different organizations and these different regions, um, I think definitely has played a huge contributing factor into opening up safe spaces for those individuals to be able to speak up, um, to be able to just, you know, promote uh, diversity in general and, and really empower those individuals to um, belong, you know, be included. Is, is this the first, first conference of this type that AIHA has done? Yeah, the pre, I forget the exact term, but those, there was a, a, a really um, engaging session that they held PDC um, in the past, and this was to build on that. But one of the changes that the group in charge of putting this together wanted to make was making it accessible to everybody. So the PDCs have a lot of cost aspect to it, and we wanted to make this available to anyone in the spirit of inclusion. So we felt that a virtual conference offered the, in the format that it, it will this year would open it up to more opportunities for anyone um, to participate, not just those who can 
get the financial support and the time to attend a PDC at the conference. So what's the, the date again or dates on this event? It's October, the week of October 16th. They, they're doing two hour blocks per day um, throughout the entire week. Got it. So it's, so it's two hours a day. So it's basically a 10 hour event. Yeah, it's, and it's during lunchtime, so people can take a step out of their day and attend the free sessions. And again, it's totally free. Do you have to be a member of AIHA? Is this open to everyone? You don't need to be a member. Um, it's definitely open to everyone and encouraged um, to share the effort. Excellent. Uh, Kanani, you've, you've actually already initiated mentoring programs, right? To, to get out there and uh, uh, and net, create networking opportunities um, in the OHS field. Uh, what advice do you have for individuals who are looking to uh, to, to engage in similar activities and actually uh, you know bring this in their workplace and their organization? Uh, are are there any you know useful pointers? Because obviously, if you know you're the first you know early doing it in an organization, there's going to be some blockades probably right? a little bit. It's it's not some challenges. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. I thought long and hard about this um, over the last seven years, being involved with mentorship opportunities and being a part of multiple different DEI co uh, committees. Um, I would say if I had to summarize all of this uh, in simple concept at the very basic level, you are who you hang around, you know, so we implement these programs for total worker health and research, and it, it really shows why diversity jobs have in itself risen 123% in the last year. You know, we need to get involved. We need to find mentors. If you are a mentor, you need to participate. Um, participate in diversity outreach, outreach management, um, targeted outreach, you know, different types of educational efforts. Uh, definitely just get involved and take note that emotional intelligence and psychological safety in the workplace is a skill to develop. And it may even be a requirement for your next job interview or job description. So this, this upcoming, upcoming October conference uh, addresses various, you know, DEI topics, right? Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, such as microaggressions, unconscious bias, workplace ally training. I mean, and these are all, I think, big components and probably successfully implementing a, D, a DEI strategy right in a workplace. Um, it, how do these issues intersect with, you know, with the industrial hygiene world, you know, and with the occupational environmental health and safety world. Um, are there are there certain steps that as individual professionals, uh, they can take, uh, you know, to address and deal with these challenges in their day to day workplaces. And I'll, I'm going to let you each weigh in on that. Isabel, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, that's a it's a great question. And I think it's complicated. Um, and how do we intersect this? Um, but I, I do agree we need to advocate for people who are underrepresented. We can look at our programs and make sure everyone is taken into account to ensure they are safe in their jobs. For example, I've seen an increase of women in field operations roles in my industry or in various skilled trade jobs that were traditionally done by men. And for women that are interested in these non-traditional roles, we need to re reassess, are those jobs fit for them too, appropriately to, a, to protect women, such as maybe some reproductive hazards that didn't apply to men, or um, upon pre-hire that the job demands are appropriate for them um, that was originally designed for a, men in, a man in mind. 
Um, and what we can do to address this, I think, is have these discussions. The virtual conference is a great step towards that. Um, find a platform, not just with AHA, but in your workplace to share your concerns and speak up when PPE is not fitting appropriately for someone who may you know, look a little outside that average um, size due to physical or cultural reasons so we can ensure that they're just as safe as everyone else when they come to work. Um, I also advocate for volunteering to enhance DEI programs at your workplace, as well as with AHA, there are a lot of tremendous opportunities to get involved with that. Um, and not just advocate and speaking up, but do the work on finding solutions um, for others to help leadership connect and understand the benefits of advocating for both OEHS and DEI. Excellent. Kanani, what's your take on it? Yeah, um, the conference in general is speaking to uh, many different topics. And I think in order to identify what we need to do to move forward, we need to know where we're at currently. And so um, the conference will speak to, you know, current workplace safety, current populations, current job fatalities, uh, things like, you know, where we see uh, microaggressions and unconscious bias, uh, looking at holistic approaches. Um, we talk about embracing authenticity in the workplace and how, you know, things like code switching or worker health and safety in general is just surrounded with all these types of um, different diverse diversity factors that we need to take into account for total worker health. And so I think it's a great place to start. I think we can integrate all of these um, topics that we learn at this conference uh, to our everyday life and in our workplace. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a, a great, a great conference and um, definitely a, a, a great starting point for individuals who are looking to become an ally or even try to um, just generally promote uh, worker health and safety in the environmental health and safety field or OEHS field. Also to add, you know, the sessions are uh, two hour blocks um, each day. And if you aren't able to make the conference, um, you can definitely tune in later. Uh, the AIHA will have the presentations available for 90 days um, post uh, presentation. Uh, so definitely, as long as you register for the sessions, um, you can, you know, access that 90 days after. Isabel Kanani, thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedules to uh, talk about your upcoming presentations and this important uh, topic. So uh, October, the week of October 16th, uh, you will be uh, doing feature presentations, both of you, at the AIHA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for OEHS Professionals uh, online event. That's a free event, right? So uh, AIHA.org, I'm assuming you can get more information. What days each are you presenting? Yes, so our presentation, um, Empowering Allies for a Safe and Healthier Workplace, uh, is being presented by our um, AIHA Pride Chair, uh, Michael Irati. Uh, and we are presenting on Friday, October 20th from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, my session is on Thursday, October 19th at 2.15 Eastern Time for one hour. And my um, colleague, Bill Nichols, who's an ally of um, DEI and women and minorities will be actually performing the, the main part of the presentation. So we, we work together in putting the, the information together. So I look forward to seeing everyone there. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and I wish you both uh, the best in your presentations at your upcoming event. Thank, Thank you. you. We look forward to seeing everyone there. So that's our show for this week. We'll be back again with another episode of Healthier Workplaces. Until next time, I'm Bob Krell. Stay healthy.